Hey everyone! Welcome to Plotting, a podcast about gaming, education, and everything in between. I'm Adam. And I'm Charles. We hope you remember to share and subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday. Quick note for the episode ahead. We did originally plan for this to be the first episode, and in fact, it's the first one we recorded. Uh, but we decided later that canonically, it'd be episode two for our series. Welcome to Plotting with Adam and Charles. Yes. We're off to a great start. Episode one here. I'm Charles Coomber, and I'm a middle school teacher who uh, loves games of all types, tabletop RPGs, video games, a lot of virtual reality. Very nice. And I am Adam Campbell Kruger. I'm an instructional design designer and game hobbyist as well. Been a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons, as well as other RPGs. Love playing tabletop games, video games, um, and let's get into it. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. Today's topic, as you know, Adam, is running RPGs for alternative audiences. That's right. And when we talk about alternative audiences, I basically mean not us. Uh, if any of you have ever been at an RPG table, you know that it tends to be, um, you get a lot of very homogenous groups. And if you've also been at an RPG table uh, with someone who has kids, you'll know that those kids would love to get involved a lot of the time. But it's a little bit different to run an RPG for a group of kids than it is to run an RPG for a group of 20-something, 30-something young adults. So that's what we're here to talk about today. Definitely. And like, as far as the kids, I mean, like you said, it, it's going to vary wildly based on the dynamics of whether you have like a mixed group of adults and kids or all, all students. Uh, you know, if can we start with kids maybe? That's like, I think the number one, you know. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I think kids are the, the number one most requested too. So I think we should just keep going with kids. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of adults kind of shy away from I don't know, maybe this is just in my local metagame, my local community. I A lot of times uh, people see Dungeons & Dragons for like older people. I think it has that like, it feels like it's overcomplicated or that kids will be bored by it or maybe inappropriate themes depending on which module we're talking about. Um, yeah, there's definitely can be those concerns. I mean, there's other RPG systems that are designed with kids in mind, but the most important thing I think is to have a a confident group dynamic and make sure that you establish some good boundaries. Obviously, when you're dealing with kids, you don't want to make them establish those boundaries for themselves, but it's important for any adults involved, whether that's just the dungeon master or game master, or if there are any adult players or adult guests that everyone is on board with, you know, appropriate topics and themes and where the game's going, any home rules that have been created to make it a little easier math wise or otherwise yeah i mean so i've run a lot of uh kind of what i have a lot of practice at shockingly these days is running like dungeons and dragons mostly but you know tabletop rpgs for brand new students or kids and i, I do teach middle school so most of mine have been like 11 or 12 or 13 years old uh but sometimes younger i've had as young as like fifth grade from my school in it and it's like there's a lot of things that you need to do to 
I feel like especially with a new group of no one's like really into it and has no experience with tabletop RPGs or gaming, uh, there's like a lot of accommodations <laughs> that you have to make as a DM. Like you're not like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or you're playing your tabletop RPG, but you're also like not really. So <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think flexibility is probably the most important thing for any game master, no matter who you're running the game for. Um, but especially when you're running it for a group, whether it's kids or another, you know, even a group of older adults maybe who haven't tried it out before, or, um, a mixed group, you just need to be flexible. Don't get too bound up in the rules. Uh, I think it's right on page one or two of the player's handbook that says that in the end, all the rules are up to the DM. And that's in Dungeons and Dragons, of course, but I think in any RPG, it's the same way. So can you talk about a little bit about your experience with, I'm sure this, this must have happened to you as someone who DMs a lot. Like, have you ever had to DM for a party that was majority non-gamers? That's what I'll say. It doesn't matter what age they are. It's a big difference. Like, especially, ooh, a majority non-gamers of people that aren't even really sure they want to play Dungeons & Dragons. Have you ever had to do that? I have. Um, so I have actually a number of times, but... The one that I will pull from is uh, a couple years back, I was at my family Thanksgiving, and everyone knew that I had been into D&D for a while, um, but what they didn't know is that my dad's brother, my paternal uncle, used to play Dungeons and Dragons when he was very young, and he hadn't in a long time. He was totally out of touch with it, but he he's a very... Uh, sort of a boisterous sort lots to make decisions on the fly and he was like all right adam you're dming we're playing dungeons and dragons right here right now like he's like i want to see what what the new dungeons and dragons like let's let's yeah. see your skills <laughs> exactly uh so keep in mind i have no dice no minis no books uh no adventure prepared I have a group that is comprised of my two young cousins, one aged five at the time and one aged seven. My aunt, uh, who has never played before, she's co-piloting a character with my five-year-old niece, and my grandma, um, and then my uncle, of course. So you could say it's a mixed bag, and no one has ever played except me and my uncle. No one even knows what's happening. <laughs> this is um, a perfect group for what I'm thinking of, because it is like... One, a wonderful blend of ages. There's also like, and I feel like this does happen a lot, you know, if you're doing this sort of thing, you do have one player who maybe knows a little bit more about the game, which can sometimes be like a detriment. Because if I'm like slashing and burning certain rules, I'm like, no, we're just going to keep moving. The, the, you know, like the regular players, I think are kind of like, hmm. <laughs> like, uh, and I'm like, Shh, it's okay. We have to like, um, so keep going. Yeah, what, how'd it go? Well, What'd you do? It went great. I, in the end, you know, I didn't end up encountering that particular roadblock because it had been so long since he played. If anything, I would say the big uh, stumbling block he had was sort of topical, uh, given that every other player in the group was a female, a woman or a girl. I don't know if you caught on to that, but yeah. So my two little female cousins, my aunt and my grandma and him. And so their approaches to various problems and encounters did not tend to be going going in hacking and slashing and as an old school dungeons and dragons player he was very much of the uh, kick down the door stab the monster save the princess find the loot sort of mentality um 
But you know what? In the end, we ended up having a great game. It was very loose and flowing. Uh, started off in a little seaport town. Um, they had sort of explored the town a little bit, eventually picking up some leads of strange goings on about town and eventually made their way to a suspicious lighthouse nearby. So you're home brewing this, right? Oh, yes. This was, this okay. was all improv. And you're just yeah. improvising it as you go. So yeah. uh, I guess, like, what goes through your mind in that point? Because I've had to deal with this too myself. And I am, what, you know, listeners of our show are going to find out is that I really dislike imp- improvising larger things in D&D. Like, I can improvise dialogue, but I need, like, you know, a block of to draw from. So... Hmm. What goes through your, I don't know, like, how do you, do you have, like, a stock town that you just drop every new characters in almost all the time? Or what's, what's your, how do you address that? Well, when I run things for more D&D-oriented groups, I do have a, a sort of a homebrew world that I tend to use. Um, but in this case, I was just absolutely sort of cribbing it. Every new face or clue was totally improv on the spot. Um, but I think... What's really important, and this is actually a tip that I sort of picked up from another RPG system called Dungeon World. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more alternative, uh, less mainstream than D&D. Your characters, um, you either take damage in increments of one, which is sort of any sort of non-trivial damage, or you die. Uh, it's a very narrative-based system. <laughs> and there's actually... There is someone who's formerly a dungeon master, but they're also a player. It's a very um, interactively created system. And that's what I really learned from that system is a lot of the times as the DM, just listen to your players because half the time they're coming up with cleverer ideas than you plotted out or than the module had prepared. And Mm -hmm. if that guess that they had or suspicion ends up coming to pass, that's always a major win for them. Like no one is ever more excited than when their crazy conspiracy theory that they developed like three hours ago turns out to be exactly the solution to the, the puzzle or the riddle at the end of the, the game. I love this idea. And I feel like you've actually already laid out several break accommodations or modifications that uh, we've both made when we're dealing with new groups. And I want to, I want to like say them straight and like maybe make a list. Cause that'll help me later. Uh, so number one, you actually said co-piloting, which is brilliant. I have never, I mean, I guess I've probably done that, but I've never like considered it like formally. Um, so I, I love the idea of pairing a older adult with a younger kid or an experience with a, a new player. I do. I mean, it's a fine line, right? Like you want the, sometimes new players can check out. They're like, oh, okay, good. That guy will make all the decisions and I'll just, so, um, and you also said, oh, what was a couple more combinations? Oh, the damage. I definitely do that too, by the way. Like, a good tip with students is, like, ignore, or, like, with new new players, like, really just ignore, I don't know, modify the damage systems in D&D. Again, we're going to be talking from a place of D&D, at least for this, <laughs> for this current episode. Uh, although enough. I do want to hear more about world. Dungeon world. Dungeon That's world. That's a great more. system. Really fun. Yeah. Uh, I also like that, you know, there, there's that improv rule of, like, say yes, right? that it sounds like um, you generally roll with, right? You're like, you know, generally, if a player has an idea, lean in that direction. Like, allow that conspiracy to be true that they've, like, laid out. And um, absolutely, I, I do that. 
but a, a thing I tend to do, and I wonder if you do this too. Of course, again, my players generally know that I'm not like pure improvising it. And mm. maybe this is like my like insecurity as a DM, but like I always use, I always have to lie about it. Here's, here's like that. I have an adventure manual, right? Uh, in any case, or like, you know, I have like my pre-printed out notes. I've done this before. Like I built the world a little bit and I like, they're all printed out. And I'm like, oh yes, let me consult the notes. Hmm. Ah, yeah. As you thought he was the, like, like, it's very important to me, like to sell it to at least, uh, and I want to know what you, you, how you feel about this, but like as a DM, I almost feel like, especially with new players or where kids maybe, it's like, I feel like I have an obligation to like, like, I think later you can develop the understanding as like, like mature game players. You're like, oh, you're the DM. It was, you said it. So it becomes true. It's, it's, but like for new players, like it almost has like a mystique about it. They're like, whoa, I deduced something that was in the novel. And like, you did, you put those puzzle pieces together. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? How do you grapple with it? Well, I mean, first off, checking your notes is, I think, a time-honored strategy of DMs who are buying time to, uh, <laughs> to come up with a solution for something that they didn't encounter, didn't have any notes for, the module did not have prepared in any way, shape, or form. Um, that being said, I think, it, I think it really just depends on your group. Um, but I can definitely see how, especially for, you know, like middle school-aged students, I think that's an age where... Uh, they're starting starting to shuck off like the rules a little bit, but they also are still more rules bound. Uh, they want to to feel like they're within the lines, if that makes sense. Well, maybe this um, is about like a difference between us as players. Because actually, I think I do that for them because I want that. Like I, hmm. when I'm, especially now that like once you're a DM, you know, you have like kind of a meta knowledge about it, especially, and it, it's, it's unfortunate in some ways you lose that naivety that i want to have them keep like that fantasy like kind of that like that's a gift and it, it shatters it pops fast the longer you're in especially if you start becoming a dm yourself you're like oh i see what they're doing like like you're like oh maybe she's the and then, like the dm's like yeah yeah she is and like i understand that that becomes real by like the rules of the game when you improvise that and like the dm agrees but I don't know. It loses some of its magic to me when I just know it's like it's like oh we're we're in an improv scenario. It's kind of whatever I did, but it's like it loses maybe some of the danger or some of the achievement. Mm. You don't feel like you've achieved something when you're like, oh well, you were unless whatever I did something I insane, said, was you would have yeah kind of rolled with it. <laughs> I can see how that is the case, but I also think that's potentially a difference between the two of us because mm. it's funny to me that you said it, you know it pops fast like it once you know what's behind the curtain. Whereas for me, I DM most of the time. Um, again, as longtime listeners of our show will, will come to know. But when I do get the rare opportunity to play, uh, you know, I it's like everything goes out of my head. I don't even remember what the rules are. The other day, I actually got to play a little bit, and I couldn't even figure out how one of my spells was supposed to work. A spell that I have used hundreds of times when I am a DM, but somehow being in the player seat, I was like, oh, God, what do I do here? Um, so, yeah, for me, the upper, maybe it's just because I treasure that, that chance to be in the player seat so much after so many years of DMing that I'm, like, throwing everything I know about the game out the window and just trying to 
recreate uh, a fresh experience, I guess. But that takes a suspension of disbelief, I think. I like, like I, I would hope that I could like fully be in that mindset when I'm a player, but I can't help but like metagame to a degree. Like, and like, <laughs> it's a different pleasure. It's a, or a different funness. It's a different like. It's still engaging. You know, I'm not saying like, hey, once you learn to DM, stop playing D and D. Like, it's it's actually fun in a different way. That's again without the naivety. You you start being able to appreciate. Like, wow, that was some great improv by the DM. Like that guy just like not only ran with it, but he like he or she sold it in a way that like it felt like it's part of the story to begin with. Like, oh, that's like that is impressive. That's like, it was like you watch like a really cool, you know, improv show. But again watching an amazing improv show, we're like, wow, they're back and forth, fantastic. Like, he responds, she responds so quickly. Is also a little different than watching, like, what seems to be, like, interactive theater. Like, like this intricate play that you're interacting with. And they're like, we have, like, real rules and real identities that only your clever machinations or, like, your deliberate choices allowed you to succeed in this way. I don't know. Hmm. Something like that. Okay. We probably should. So... Is there any more tips that we could have? How about that? What What are some That's more true. tips? That's true. we got to get back to our list. Yeah. We're, we're totally off topic on the list. So we had co-piloting was tip number one for new players. Get the chance to, to ride out the complexities of the rules with a more experienced or sometimes just older voice to guide them. Yeah, like I can read versus I can't read. <laughs> In yes, your case, exactly. we're very Yeah. yeah. Um, then we had sort of the say yes improv style. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess another one to me is what the third, the one we are also said, but yeah, keep going. Well, yeah, I guess that's what I was sort of circling to anyway, which is, uh, just, uh, play fast and loose with the rules. Mm -hmm. I understand that that's intimidating, especially for newer DMS. Um, you want to make sure you have everything right, but what matters in the end is that everyone's having a good time. Um, yeah. Can I say, like, playing fast, loose the rules, one specific area I always, I tend to do this, and you got to read the room. So this is, like, it depends on whether I've, I have, like, kids or people that are, like, kind of curious about Dungeons, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Again, that's, like, mostly my experience. Dungeons and Dragons. And they're, like, yeah, you know, I want, like, the experience. Like, I saw it on Stranger Things or on Community or in pop culture, and I have an idea of what it is. And when I want to, even that... I still really cut down, like very rarely do I not cut down the player creation uh, mm. section. So I wonder what your thoughts are on this and what you've done in fast. Because do you know what I have actually done a lot of times? And again, these are like, because of real life things, like, you know, the lunch period or after school club I'm running, we only have so little time. But also again, it's like, oh, you're, I'm afraid people are going to leave. They're like, oh, oh, what are you playing? You know, this thing. And I'm like, yeah, you, you'd like it. Come try this thing out. A lot of times I'm like, you're all level one humans who are 10 out of 10 stats. And they're like, what does that even mean? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, like at, you know, every session, what I do, and this is like, again, because I run a, a lunch club or a very short time, 45 minutes, 30 minutes sometimes. And it's mm. like, we'll add one thing to your character sheet every time you show up. So the first time you show up, you're all level one, level 10 humans. I'm like, okay, now next time, let's do, let's do attribute points. So instead of 10s, you know, here's like, you know, the standard set, 15, 14, 13, 10, divide them and like that's fun too because then they have a weakness and then they have some strengths but like i don't know what have have you done anything like that how do you usually how did your grandmother make a character well in that case i just pre-generated them all characters and i think pre-generating a character is 
something that I think a lot of is sort of looked down on right now, especially in like. Okay. I don't. I'm not in, like, I think especially in the the, the very like people who maybe have really gotten into like the new age D and D with the very narrative storytelling they want to feel like the character is theirs you know like mm. they came up with this totally unique concept and there's sort of a a tendency to maybe poo poo a little bit like playing the stereotypical lego lost the road the ranger or yeah, Gimli yeah. the dwarf fighter um but on the flip side i think that pre-gen characters that do fall within our archetype are a great scaffold right for newer players it gives them that opportunity to to take something that everyone knows and jump into the role-playing aspect with it because mm. to me that's where newer newer players struggle the most especially if you just give them the player's handbook or whatever system oh, you're playing with and you're like all right <laughs> make a character let's do this we're making a fresh character i will tell you i've made new characters with new players almost every game i've ever started they will 99 percent of the time make themselves in a fantasy world mm-hmm. And it will become very hard for them down the road to confront situations that emerge in the fantasy world that they don't feel any real connection to as a person because it's not something that they would ever confront in real life. Whereas if, they're, if you give them that little bit of freedom to untether from themselves and say, okay, I am Mirwin, the elven ranger, even though it's stereotypical, you know, it can really help. And to me, it's so funny that you say like, there's too much on the character sheet. The fifth edition D&D has done such a great job really <laughs> slimming that down compared it's to some of the older editions. For new people, like, um, come on, you'll love this game. It's a great like, and I saw it, I'm like, it's almost like an improv or an interactive story. And they're like, yeah. What are all the numbers mean? Why is there two numbers for the stats? <laughs> 12 and a one? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> don't overthink no, yeah. it. We're just going to roll. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. Um, it is interesting to me that you said the level like zero humans idea. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to start a game that way and shied away from it because it seemed so complicated to do it. And maybe that's where I need to let go of the rules a little yeah, bit. Yeah, what do you mean? So complicated. You're just like, your level, you have plus zero to everything. And then like, you know, initially at least. I guess it's because, you know, there is no defined system within the rules for how you, you play that way. And so it's like, well, what if one of them picks up a dagger, the other one picks up a sword? This is, like, oh, okay. Let me walk you through. This is good. This good segue into me talking some more. So here, like, hi, welcome to the Dragon Club. Oh, you're a shy student who was like referred here by another student, by another teacher, because it's a good, so- I mean, it really is a good social skills group. Uh, hey, so have a seat. Here's your character sheet. It's literally just like tens and all things. And like, or like, not even here's your character sheet. It's like, just so you know, uh, I pick their, they pick their archetype based on their weapons. I'm like, here, pick one of these. You get an item set. And it's literally like bow and arrows, a sword and shield, and a magic staff. You know, like almost like old RV, like very old school. I'm like, just pick one of those. We'll run in that. You'll get more stuff from the game. And then First like. Edition D&D when yeah, Elf was a class. <laughs> like, and a lot of kids are like, okay, I had a sword and shield. I'm like, good, that's all you, and you have normal clothing. Don't worry about that. Just think fantasy clothing. And then like in the game, when I feel like they need stuff, then I'm like, oh, here's, here's like a chest filled with 
you know, boots. Good. <laughs> Too bad we are not torches. That's a big one. I'm like, oh yeah, you guys are on torches. Oh, good thing that rack of torches is is in the book. Because again, I'm I'm lying to them. I'm like, yeah, it was there. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, any other tips? Is there any other tips off the top of our heads? Dealing with new players. What's working? You know, I had a great tip pop up, and it's totally to gotten away down. from me. I wrote some I down. Oh, you okay, did? Well, wow. We're going to so do prepared. a segue then. This actually right, really deals with us. alternative audiences. This isn't a real segue. Let's say grandma. Let's say students. These are where we're coming from. What do you do when a player is disengaged? Like, how do you, do you have any techniques for that? Do you just let them go? You're like, yeah, be on your phone. I don't care. These, these three are enjoying me. <laughs> um, so it's tricky, right? It's, uh, and I think a lot of how you're going to handle that is going to depend partly on who it is that's disengaging. It's a little different mm -hmm. if it's a grandma compared to, you know, five-year-old cousin compared to 12-year-old shy student. Yeah. Uh, and it's also going to depend on your environment, right? If you know you're running a one-shot versus is this trying to get them engaged in a longer-term campaign or, or long-running game like that. But to me, I think that's where bringing stuff in off of their character sheet. Make sure there's something in the module that each character has the chance to be the hero, hmm. right? Because at the, at the end of the day, any RPG, I mean, maybe not some of the more gritty ones, but most of the, the RPG systems are trying to enable a power fantasy. You want to get in there and be the, the warrior with the giant axe or the, you know, the elf wizard who can cast mighty spells and disappear with your invisibility cloak. Um, and so, and this is actually a great tip that I read that I think applies even more to audiences who don't know the game as much, which is mm -hmm. if you have the time, obviously, but try and improv it if you don't. Just make sure that there's one challenge throughout the adventure that is only really solvable by one of the characters. So put, put that in perspective. Let's say it's your one shot with your family, it's Thanksgiving, and your uncle, and... You know, they have maybe all the archetypical characters because you apparently walk around in a suitcase full of pregens, which we're going to have to get into in another <laughs> question. Like, what are these pregens? But so you would be like, oh, we should have like some sort of agility challenge. You're like, oh, this guy is running away. You got to catch him. We're like, shoot an arrow at this target. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like, piece by piece? Yeah. And, you know, don't even necessarily tie it into the combat stats. I mean, obviously, when you're starting with the levels your humans idea, it gets a little more complicated. But even if, you know, one character, picked up a different language or like kind of a weird skill proficiency. Um, you know, one of the big ones going back to D&D to &D as a system, I think like animal handling is a sort of typically left in the dust kind of skill because a lot of people don't use mounted combat rules. They feel like animal handling to get yourself a pet is like way too overpowered where they just don't want to keep track of an extra token or mini on the board. Um, and that's true. You know, you don't let someone replace the Beastmaster Ranger because they rolled an 18 on their animal handling check. But <laughs> that being said... This tiger is my friend now. I know I'm a wizard, but I also have a tiger who can attack. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, if they have animal handling and no one else has animal handling, Otto, uh, you're on a, a cart and... 
the horses are beginning to to be runaway horses or oh no the thief bolted down that alley and scared uh the oxen that was pulling a farmer's cart and now it's blocking the alley make an animal handling check to get past it you have to calm that oxen down um and you know obviously animal handling it doesn't have to be animal handling it can be anything if you have a character who is a yuan t and has that unique special ability to talk to snakes make sure there's some snakes for them to interrogate find out the uh the juicy details of what's been going on in the area just make sure that the world feels alive but alive in ways that relate to your characters and that's probably just a good gming tip but i think especially with more tentative audiences if they don't get engaged Tentative audiences are coming to it from a place of non-engagement anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you have to offer them that hook in. And sometimes, you know, you really have to attempt to hook them in. And you have to say, Andy, Andy, make an animal handling check. Oh, I've done this. Where the I was like, out of the way. Oh, no, no. She turns to Andy, you know, like, and asks yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. And he's like, what? hooks up is like oh okay so who is she again i'm like okay it's good well at least you're here <laughs> now stay here no definitely um cool uh where else should we go with this should we talk about other groups that that are off off the you know irregular groups so far we've discussed non-gamer players and kids that don't really want to be there <laughs> uh do you, have you, do you have experience with any other sorts of alternative groups? Or is this a part of the podcast we're cutting? Uh, well, the one that I do want to talk about a little bit, um, and maybe we'll do a whole episode on it another time, is we can preview um, playing with the, uh, you know, like business acquaintances. Hmm. I think... Coworkers. Is that right? Coworkers. Like, but well, like coworkers more distant... <laughs> Co-workers of co-workers, if that makes sense. I think ah, okay. I've read a lot of times stories that start with, I met someone at work who said they were really into Dungeons and & Dragons, and I'm a DM. So we got together a group, but he or she brought along a couple of his friends, and they aren't really into it. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think especially when you're in the uh, the professional sector, right, there's going to be a lot of hesitance there's going to be a tendency potentially to want to steer into topics that you might not want to engage in in that area um okay. but I, do, I think i wonder if i can get clarification i could read that a lot of ways what you just said we can always cut this but what what were you saying i think because of the disparate power structure between the dm and the players Mm -hmm. especially with adults right you there's always going to be that one person who wants to test the boundaries okay okay like you know the person who wants to see how far yes and will get them Ah, okay oh so that's the king i want to take his jewels yeah and you're like and now i have to run away from the guards i run to the top of the tower and now I throw myself off the tower. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, making more and more ridiculous uh, experiences I mean, with every passing Well, those second. are, like, two different things. Or, like, that could be a lot of reasons, right? That could be, like, literally just trolling, like, a partner who's like, I don't really want to be here. I just want to get out of this game. Can we end this? 
or possibly, like you said, like just pushing boundaries. They don't really, but they're not invested maybe, or maybe they just, they don't really get it. Like, you know, mm. or so, uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a great, that one, that's not a niche case. So that's honestly like applicable to a lot of, you're like, sure. You just stabbed the king. Uh, Yeah, again, you know, this is where doing it on a case-by-case -case basis. But I think in the, in the professional sector, um, which is what we're specifically talking about. There's a whole new about. layers, I think. I feel like there's like, I mean, depending, is it, are we talking like it's your boss? And you're like, I got to let him kill the king. Sure. <laughs> you're the new king now. <laughs> you have a reputation for fairness to your subordinates. Um, no, so I think... <laughs> And this is going to be a topic I'm sure we'll delve into later okay. in the series, but this is where it all just comes back to setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, it's another thing I, I hear and, and read pretty often from inexperienced DMs. It's like, oh, the game's totally out of control. The players have tamed a dragon and <laughs> ridden it to the castle, and now they're burning all the peasants in the village. What should I do? And at the end of the day, in the same way that you can say yes and and should feel empowered to do so, you should also feel empowered to say yes, but. Mm -hmm. Or no, you know, if at the end of the day, people are bumping up against totally the wrong boundary, you can still say no. Yeah, no. I, you know, you have to use it sparingly. So I want to talk about a couple times I've encountered very similar things, maybe not with coworkers, uh, but actually... Yes, with coworkers. Now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely DM for coworkers. Hopefully they don't <laughs> hear me bash them right now. But it's like, they do this sort of thing. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of ways you can go. Like, one, you can predict the future for them. And I don't know if this is, like, good DMing or not. So this will be a good chance for me to learn. I'm like, if you do that, the guards will arrest you. There's a hundred of them. Do you want to do that? Okay, like that. Two, you can ask the party. You're like, oh, you know. So, again, this is mostly with... This is maybe not a businessman answer, but maybe it is. Maybe like, hey, just so you know, like we're in a party game. Like if you do that, the consequences, you know, it might be for everyone other than like, like, we're like, hey, party, are you guys okay with that? Like you, one of you can stop him if you want to, mm. or possibly, you know, when I was, when I was new and young to the Dungeons and Dragons and not a DM myself. I had a DM that would just, you know, like, there'd be, like, a force field there, essentially. It'd be like, oh, there's a, a blue force field shimmers as you walk forward. And you're like, what? And that's like, that's not a magic spell. Now I know. One, I've DM'd that module. I'm like, there's no force field here. And then two, uh, that's definitely not, I mean, maybe it is. Like, he was not, it was not a formal part of the rules. But I think sometimes that's okay. And again, it's like, it has to be sparingly, because otherwise they lose agency. Or you're like bullying that one person. You're like, no, you can't do that. No, that's wrong too. Sorry, no. Are you joking? <laughs> Just know. go in go in the cone of shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, look, I have a path on the ground painted. I want you to walk along. Like, so it's a balance. But I can you tell me so what are some have you can you talk about a specific time that's happened and what you did? That would maybe be illuminating. If you can think of anything. Well, so I think this lines up, too, with uh, one of the things that you said um, in a bad way, unfortunately. But uh, you said, you know, like, say to the party, you can stop him. Like, you cannot let him do that. Mm -hmm. um, this was not, this was in my, my standard group, uh, not any 
alternative audience. But the the key point is um, one of the players is a wizard who had joined the group a little bit late. So relationships between his character and some of the others were already a bit tenuous. Um, And they were traveling through this dungeon and they encountered a a demi-lick. Players of D&D will know this is a a skull that's been uh, inhabited by the spirit of a powerful wizard. And this demi-lick is imprisoned in this uh, glass bubble. It's basically trapped there to answer questions and serve as a guide to the area. And the rest of the party leaves the room. And the wizard, due to other character motivations in his backstory, decides he wants to attempt to break the demi-lick out and carry it with him as like a personal talking library, basically. Mm-hmm. And for the next two sessions in a row, everything was just meta knowledge, PVP nonsense. Oh, why are you coming in behind us, Rurik? I had to tie my boot. <laughs> I look at his boots. Do they seem freshly <laughs> tied? <laughs> And, you know, that's like a, a pretty... Because they pretty know that small. he stayed... Like, the players know he stayed behind for the Lich thing, but since their characters don't, they're trying to come up with, like, an in-game reason to, like, to interrupt stop his commute. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, and it, to me, you know, I, I'll say at the time, I didn't have a good solution. What I ended up actually doing is, after it had been two full sessions of this, uh, sort of climaxing in a place where the wizard tried to step away from the party to consult with the skull and the warlock sent his familiar totally out of character to go and listen in and then the wizard just randomly fireballed the area (laughs) where the familiar was just to be clear i always do this i just yeah (laughs) this is 20 faces behind me i just (laughs) throw fireballs just in case um i just had to stop the game and say oh look we're going to have to set some boundaries about this because what we're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you retcon it? Were you like, tra- time travel? No, no, oh. we kept moving forward. Um, but we did sort of have, I guess I would call it like a forced scene or railroaded scene. And that is where, you know, jumping back to our last point, sometimes having a scene play out in a certain way without player agency is okay. Mm. In this case, what I ended up doing was, you know, I just had the players who were not involved come running over at the sound of the fireball. And unfortunately, oh, the wizard already has the skull out of his bag. Didn't give him a a chance to, like, (laughs) put it away or anything. Yeah, you did your six seconds. Here's what's happening. Yeah. Um. But it actually led to a great, like, in-character role-playing moment. And over time, they, you know, created, like, this whole system of communicating where the school couldn't hear them and stuff. But I don't know. It, it's really tricky when you hit moments like that. That's all I'll say. I don't know so if there's one I want to follow up before people think I'm just not. The... Okay. Let me clarify what I mean. Follow up by stopping a player from doing things like that. And maybe this is, like, something I've only learned over time, so maybe I didn't do this for my initial groups. But I absolutely agree, especially for non-traditional groups. Or, like, people that, you know, Mm. again, this feels like discriminatory, but non-gamer people. It's like, there are some boundaries that I'm pretty... I've I've 
come to rely upon, especially with new players, or especially with like, I don't know, maybe people that don't really want to be there aren't taking it seriously. And that's, uh, okay, the boundaries are this. Hi guys, welcome, we're going to play Dungeons & Dragons. In this game, you are a team, you're a party. Like, in fact, especially when we spend the time to build some semblance of characters, which I do sometimes, I'm like, now I want you to think of reasons why you're already friends. Why are you already traveling together? And throughout this game, you are expected to work it. I'm like, yes, always in Dungeons & Dragons, there's no PvP. Like, again, another like, like, and later maybe we'd open it up to that if I, the group matured. Mm. But initially, I'm like, no, no, you all have to work together. You're like, all of our goals are generally the same direction. Maybe like, you know, with some 45 degree angles there, but like generally the same direction. <laughs> and so with that in mind, when I, when I say like, oh, you want to stab the king? I'm like, okay. Well, here's, like, I am unfortunately going to put this up to a vote, because that's going to drastically change the storyline. Because remember, I'm selling it as, like, hey, you're new to D&D, it's scary to you, it's got dungeons, dragons. Okay, it's like, like, it's an interactive story. It's just like I'm reading a novel, and you're Harry Potter, and you can do it, like, whatever you want. I'm like, it's all there. Like, like, not. <laughs> but, like, I'm like, if that's going to drastically, if you're going to go try to stab Voldemort on page one, you know, our story's going to be so different, or, you know, page 30, because we're already partway in. Since that's going to change the storyline so much, I'm like, we can vote on that. And if they say no, I'm going to, we're just going to veto it, unfortunately. Like, I want to give you agency, but we're in a team mm. story. All of us are main characters in the same novel. I don't know. Yeah, I do think creating that team sentiment is so challenging, but so important. Mm. Um, and I've experimented with a few different systems over the years. I've um, had players, I've had players have to come up with one other character in the party that they know like a bond yeah yeah um you know sort of similar to the bond system that's already in place with your backstory and yeah but D &D that could be like edition. a teddy bear that you carry around so it's true yeah um another one that i haven't gotten to try but i read about recently is coming up with three rumors about your character one true one exaggerated and one that's totally false hmm. And then you release those to the other players and it, you know, it creates sort of this semblance of bonding right off the start. Cause it's almost like, you know, playing two truths and a lie as your, your icebreaker game at the beginning of a new class or with a group of people who have never met before. I think it's a similar idea. I haven't I gotten like to try it though. I think it gives them a really natural, again, scaffold for new people that are new, even gaming people, like professional players. It gives you something to like already work off on improvising with that character, right? Like you're like, oh, you're in a tavern. What are you guys? What are you guys gonna talk to each other about? And they're like, nice sword. Like I don't know. Like, but now they have like rumors going. And they're like, hey, I heard you also fought at the battle of whatever. Like, yeah. Um, and then sort of related to that one is one that I've been using a lot recently with a couple of my groups that I quite like, and it's just basically starting with a warm up. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people sort of do this cold start to D&D because you have limited time for your session and you want to get stuff done and you, people want to play Dungeons & Dragons, not do other stuff. But just like anything else, you know, a little bit of warm-up can drastically change how the way you spend the next couple hours goes. If you stretch mm -hmm. before a run, you might not pull a hamstring. If you warm up before D&D, maybe your role playing will be a lot better. Maybe you don't knife um, each other in the back. Yeah. So yeah. What, are, what are these warm ups? What, is, what do one or two of them look like? Yeah. So it's just little things. I'll basically just ask a question of everyone. Um, basic 
team bonding kind of stuff. What's your character's favorite food? What is your greatest fear? Mm-hmm. And, you know, not that they know these things in character, but taking the time to, to make something up, even if it's something small. And I think this works especially well when you are using pre-generated characters too, because it gives the person a chance to develop beyond just like, all right, I'm Harry Potter the wizard, to I'm Harry Potter the wizard, and I am deathly afraid of teacups because right, of the one time that a teacup fell on my head when I was living in the cabinet. You know, like... Build on it, yeah. I mean, but, I love that idea, and especially, I mean, this is a whole other logistics of new players thing, especially when you hand them a pre-gen. You need to invent reasons for them to interact with it and read it. And you're like, read it. They're like, it doesn't say my fears. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. You improvise it. That's how it works. It's your first time. So, fantastic. That brings us to the end of today's cast. We hope you had fun, learned a little, and join us next week. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes each Tuesday. You can also find us on social media at Plotting Podcast or on our subreddit, r slash Plotting Podcast. Mm-hmm.